0: up your Bibles of 1st Timothy chapter 6. Most of you should have known that by now. John made mention that uh, he did some time studying and and, uh, preaching about something from 1st Timothy chapter 6 and I was going to do the same. It was kind of interesting the way that that kind of happened this past week he did make mention that on Tuesday mornings we've been studying through first Timothy and we had finished that and also our podcast that comes out on Monday mornings we covered first Timothy and we had finished that as well and so we were kind of consumed with that book in a lot of ways and when we were studying together on Tuesday uh, last Tuesday morning there was a comment that was made actually a comment that John made that really struck me and as I was thinking about it more on that day, I went next door to John's office and I was just going to check in with him to see if possibly it's something he was going to preach on. He was going to go first, he was preaching in the mornings, and there was nothing I could do. If he was going to preach on that, that was the way it was going to be. He was first come, first served. But he had actually told me, I am going to be preaching 1 Timothy chapter 6, but something different. And so that we had a very short conversation and then decided, well, we'll just both go from 1 Timothy chapter 6. That'll be okay. He covered, he really bracketed in a lot of ways where I, we'll where I spend our time tonight. He covered really verses 3, 4, and 5 and then jumped to 20 and 21. And we're going to spend some time tonight talking about verses 6 through 19. Listen, we are in a unique opportunity. We've got to continue to see it as that. As we are here together, and listen, it's warm outside, and it's a busy weekend for a lot of folks, and there are a lot of things going on for a lot of different people, and there are probably a lot of different places that you could be. But we've got to be able to realize that we have an incredible opportunity, even here together, for a few minutes, to open up God's Word, to study from it, and to grow from that. I mean, that's the benefit of having God's word and really the benefit of being together. And so we need to grasp hold of the opportunity that we have. Now, there's a passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, and a lot of the things that we're going to talk about are going to be things that is things that you've heard for the very first time. We're going to talk about the pursuit of worldliness versus the pursuit of godliness or spirituality. We're going to talk about the pursuit of worldliness in regards to the material things that we have, the money that we strive for, sermons that certainly you have heard in the past and sermons that you will continue to hear about in the future. But what this night does do for us is it gives us a few minutes to take honest stock and to meditate on where our heart really is. What is my pursuit? What is it that I strive for in this life? Do I strive for worldly things over spiritual things? What we have now for a few minutes is an incredible opportunity to think honestly about that. And allow Paul, as he tells Timothy, to think about these things, to share these thoughts with the people that are there with him and those thoughts to be shared with us. You know, it's an interesting passage in a lot of ways where Paul talks about something pretty specific, the acquiring of wealth or riches. But to me, the punch of the lesson comes in broadening that out a little bit and thinking about our pursuit In this life, we will absolutely be pursuing something. We are going for something. That something is worldliness, physical things, or we will be pursuing and striving and going for spiritual or godly things. It will be one or the other. And what a great opportunity we have to be thinking about as we study from this text our lives and the decisions and our own hearts to see which way we're headed, and if there needs to be repentance or a change in your pursuit, we have an incredible opportunity to come face-to-face with those kinds of things for a few minutes tonight. So I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about these things and to study from this text with you. In First Timothy chapter 6, the word rich is going to come up uh, several times, and it really is an interesting word. Because when we begin to think about the, the word rich or the idea of rich, there really is a subjective quality to it. And what I mean by that is there's no number that quantifies rich versus not. There's no number that says, this is how much money I have, and so therefore I'm rich, or I don't have that much money, so therefore I'm not rich. It has different meanings for different people. What I think is rich and what you think is rich or what you think is rich may be completely different things. And undoubtedly when you step outside of our country and you begin to have conversations with people around the world, their definition about what rich is will be completely different than what our definition is. And so I want us to understand, as we talk about some of these things this afternoon, it isn't about the amount of money that I have in my bank account or the amount of money that you have in your bank account. It is everything to do with my heart and mindset. And it doesn't make a lick of difference if you have $1 in your checking account or you have $1 million in your checking account. Tonight the thought is our heart, our attitudes. The idea about what it is we are pursuing, what we are desiring to have more of. And that phrase is really where I've settled this week. Where's my desire to have more of? Do I live a life with a desire to have more of worldly and material things like money or popularity or power, as John talked a little bit about this morning? Or do I have a desire to have more of godly things? What do I desire to have more of? So that's what we're going to talk about. This text is really unique in the way that it's split up. There's a couple of points that he's going to make, and then he'll conclude in verses 17 through 19 with really some principles. And so we're going to work our way to that. That's going to be the key for our time, 17 through 19. But there are a couple of points Truths that he lays down that will help us before we get all the way there. And the first truth that he will let up and to talk about is the disastrous decision to pursue worldliness. So, hopefully, by now you're open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's read verses 6 through 10 together. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. He says, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So he begins by painting a picture. And the picture that he is painting is of the one who is pursuing riches, pursuing worldliness, pursuing materialism, pursuing greed. He's painting a picture. And in that picture, he establishes some truths. And the first truth that he establishes is that that pursuit, that kind of pursuit, doesn't in any way bring about contentment. Now, to define the term in a lot of ways, it is kind of inner sufficiency or inner peace despite outward circumstances so despite what's happening around us i have an inward peace that's contentment that's how paul uses it in philippians chapter 4 when he talks about and it doesn't matter in whatever state that i'm in i can learn to be content That's the point that he's making. It doesn't matter about my outward circumstances. It doesn't matter about what's happening around me. I can be content. Now, he'll go on in that passage to make the point he is able to do that through Christ who gives him the strength to be able to do that. So Paul makes the point here at the very outset that wealth does not bring about contentment, that true contentment only comes from godliness specifically godliness in our heart, not money in our bank account. And that makes sense to us. Because I want you to understand, and all of us have probably seen it for sure, but maybe felt it as well. If you depend, depend upon material things for peace or for assurance in some capacity, you will never, ever be satisfied. Because there is always that want and grab for more. If I have one dollar, I want two dollars. If I have one million dollars, I want two million dollars. If that is my drive, if that is what I'm driven by, if that is what I am pursuing, there's no contentment in a life like that. I'm constantly battling, constantly pushing for those kinds of things. There's no peace to be found in a life like that. There's no contentment. Uh, there's no, uh, no feeling of sufficiency in any way. And so he makes the point right after that idea in verse 7 that, listen, the reality is wealth doesn't last. And, and that point is made throughout the New Testament jesus will talk about it specifically himself when he says listen you got to make a difference where to store up your treasures you can store up treasures and things that break down or get stolen or rust or 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 or, or just die and fall away or you can store up treasures and things that are eternal all of us understand the material things in this life don't last we've all had vehicles that we've spent big money on that we don't have or are broken right now. We all live in houses that we have spent big money on and continue to spend money on because it breaks down. All of us have been in situations like that. There's a reality. Now here is an absolute reality. How much of our stuff, when we die, do we leave behind? all of it all of it every single bit of it everything is left behind and so this idea is that wealth our wealth doesn't last and so he adds to that verse 8 beginning to turn our mind is our needs the things that we need God can give to us and the idea is that God is looking to simplify our life, not make it chaos. John talked about, and I don't want to rehash a lot of that, the book of 1 Timothy has a lot to say as Paul is writing to Timothy and he's asking Timothy now to take what he has been told and to teach and to help the brethren there in Ephesus. And a lot of it has to do with the church there. How they are to conduct themselves and he talks about elders and qualifications and deacons and their qualifications he talks about uh, their worship and the service and, and and prayer and women and their role even in worship and he talks about all of those things and there is a point to be made that god is a god of direction he isn't a god of chaos he is a god of simplicity in a lot of ways And think about this attitude right here and how simple it is. God will take care of what I need. What tends to happen is that we are often so overcome with our stuff and the pursuit of it, we lose out on how to enjoy the things we have been given. And so he will close this section with the idea is pursuing worldliness leads to sin. And what's interesting is that he talks about the fact that riches, riches are a trap, they lead to bondage, they don't lead to freedom. Uh, they, they don't provide lasting satisfaction. They just lead to stronger desire that needs to be filled again. They, they don't provide help, only hurt. But probably one of the best way to read the significance of this is, is looking in this text and, and looking about the vivid language that's used to describe the downside of this pursuit. Did you take notice of that? I think there was a point that Paul was trying to make. I I wrote the ones down from the New King James Version. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things. Eight descriptors for the one who pursues worldliness. And there are temptation, snare, foolish, harmful, drowning, destruction, perdition, evil. Those are the words in two verses. You think Paul was trying to make a point right here? I certainly think he was. He wants us to understand the dangers with this pursuit, this choice. So this is reality. This is truth that's laid out. But there's a second way, a second pursuit. And that's what he talks about next. He says there's not just one way that you can pursue. There's a choice to be made. Pursue worldliness or pursue spirituality. And here's what that looks like. Look beginning in verse 11. But you, you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, without spot blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing which he will manifest in his own time he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And so what Paul does is he establishes some truths about pursuing worldliness, and now he'll establish Pursue, uh, some truths about pursuing spirituality. And it begins with this idea, you have to flee or run away from the pursuit of worldliness. Now, a lot of times when we hear that word flee, we think cowardice. And sometimes, sometimes, the Christian has to take a stand and not run away. John talked this morning about taking a stand for Doctrine for the truth and guard it and protect it. And when it is threatened, we can't run away. We have to stand guard and protect it. But not all the time that we are told to flee is a mark of cowardice. Sometimes it is a mark of wisdom. Easy example of that is Joseph in the book of Genesis fleeing from the clutches of Potiphar's wife. That was not cowardice in any way. That was a mark of wisdom. And there are times when sin is involved, every time, that the Christian needs to take a stand for sure, but that stand is separating yourself from something. That's what he's telling Timothy here. You're a man of God, you flee. From that idea. You flee from the idea of pursuing worldliness. For grasping at riches. You flee from that. But it's not about fleeing something. It is about the pursuit of something. If we flee one thing, but yet aren't pursuing something else, we isolate ourselves. That's isolation. That's not what he's saying here at all. He's saying you've got to flee worldliness, but you've got to then head towards something. And he says, you've got to pursue spiritual things. And so he gives us things like righteousness. He gives us things like godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Oh, we're not going to take the time to define all of these terms. But listen, we understand what he's saying here. You're not to pursue worldly, material, physical things. You pursue spiritual things. But here's the part that I like. When he tells him to do that, it sounds simple, right? The words come out very easy. He's talked about the dangers of pursuing worldliness. And so he then follows that up with, flee that mindset. Don't have anything to do with that. You pursue godliness and love and patience and those kinds of things. You pursue that, and it comes out very easy, and it comes out very simple-sounding. He follows that thought up with verse 12 with the idea of fighting for it. This is something you've got to fight for because it's anti-culture. And listen, it's not just anti-our culture. It is anti-every culture. I made mention when we were uh, studying from this passage on Tuesday, there was a comment that John made. That really struck with me, and I really was thinking about it for the next several days. And we were talking about this part of the passage, and we were talking about how, you know, it's easy for us to say, like, in our country, how the pursuit of riches is a problem. And it is. It most certainly is. It is one of the greatest problems in our culture. The overwhelming pursuit of worldliness or physical things. It is a massive problem and a massive obstacle. If not one of, if not the biggest that man has to face in our culture. But it's easy for us to see that. But John made the point that his dad has spent many, many years in a country that is not the richest country as we are, but literally the poorest country in the world. And you know what he tells John their greatest obstacle and temptation is? The pursuit of money and worldliness and materialism. So what that tells you, if you're thinking about that, it is one of the greatest issues for the richest of the countries among us, but yet at the same time, one of the greatest issues for literally the poorest of countries. It's a man problem. It's a man problem. Because it is such a big man problem, we have to fight to push away from it. We've got to fight to push away from it. Because it's so easy to fall into it. Because so often it doesn't look like that big of a deal. So sure, I'm, I, I'm adding on a few overtime shifts because I, I, I'd like to have a little bit more money. It's easy to justify the things in our mind. I, I, I'm helping people out. I'm helping out my family. We're able to go to a nicer place on vacation. And all of those things. You see, it is the mindset that we're battling. that's exactly what it is. It's a battle. It's a battle. It's exactly what it is. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you have to fight for it. You've got to be diligent about it. You've got to work hard for it. And so he establishes these two truths. And he closes with, now you've got to put it into practice. So how do we do that? Well, as God aptly does lots of times, because he tells us exactly how to do it. That's what he does in 17 through 19. Let's close with these three verses. Beginning of verse 17, he says this, Command, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so how do we fight for our pursuit of spirituality and godliness? He says, first off, be humble about what you have. There's an interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can hold your finger in 1 Timothy. We'll certainly come back to that. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, there are so many really interesting passages, even in the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, David will make the point multiple times about thinking the things that we have are really God's, they belong to him. And that's right. We need to be thinking about it that way. We we do. The blessings that we have, the things that we are are given, that we are blessed with, they are God's and we are stewards of those things. And that point is to be made. There's no question about it. But there's a really deeper point made in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that I love. And listen to this passage and how it goes even deeper than thinking just about the things that I have are God's. And I need to be uh, mindful of that. We certainly do. But think about how much deeper the idea really is. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. He says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his, gov- his government, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Think about the depth of that statement. It isn't just, although it is, that the things that we have are God's and we need to be thankful to him and bless him and glorify him in those things. But the text tells us here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 that it is even God who gives us the power, the ability to gain those things. And to me, that's a deeper thought in and of itself. All of the good things in this life that I have are because of God, period. Not just the things that I have, but even the abilities that I've been given to make and to have those things, those blessings. All of that is from God. And when we think about it that way, when we think about it that way, the possessing of wealth then humbles us Causes us to glorify God, not ourselves. You see, the, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. The amount of money in my bank account, that doesn't make a difference at all. That never comes up in this passage. It is now my thought processes about it. The ability to make money, that's a blessing from God, and I need to praise Him because of that. The things that I have in this life even, they're blessings from God. And I need to praise him because of those things. It all is because of God. You see, there's a reality that, you know, it's possible to be rich, however you want to define it, in this world and be poor in the next. But yet it's also to be able to be poor in this world, however you want to define that, and to be rich in the next. And we've got to decide which of those we'd like to be. Are we interested in being rich here or rich in the world that is to come? I know the decision that I'd like to make, and so you need to make that decision as well. So number one, we've got to be humble. Secondly, we've got to trust in God. We can't trust in riches. Riches are uncertain. God is the sure thing, not riches. Who among us has just lost money, just lost it? Just gone. It's just, it's just gone. You, you don't know what you did with it. You don't know where you put it. You know you had it at one time, but you don't anymore. That, that's how it happened. Earlier this summer, uh, Eli and I were out playing disc golf in Avon, and we were just walking down the middle of the field, and it was early in the morning, early, earlier than I wanted to be there. But uh, we were walking, it was wet and, and just dewy, and there wasn't a single person in eyesight, we were in an open field and there was nobody around. And we're walking down the middle of the field, and right on the ground was a $20 bill. A $20 bill. And you're thinking, somebody dropped this $20 bill, and they probably had no idea that it happened. That, that's, what, that's what riches is it's uncertain. You can have it at one moment and the next you don't. You can have a really nice car and smash it into something on the next day. You can have a beautiful home and a fire or a tornado or a hurricane ravages it the next day. Those things happen all the time. Our physical things are uncertain. But God, he is absolute in everything. And so that's where our trust needs to be. Not trusting that my money's always going to be there. When I need it, my money is going to be there because there are times when it won't be there. But when we need God, He absolutely will always be there. And so as we kind of close this idea, there's a beautiful picture that sometimes I think we miss as Christians, but it's biblical, so we don't want to miss it. It's talked about in the Old Testament and Paul talks about it again here. Nowhere in Scripture is the teaching about the things that we have, if you are a good Christian, to get rid of all of them and to live a pauper or to live in a bag on the side of the road. That that isn't a biblical point. The biblical point is to have a good mindset about where your blessings come from and enjoy those things because they come from God. We see it right here in the the text at the end of verse 17. Verse 17. Where we're not to be haughty, we're not going to trust in uncertain riches, but we're going to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It is really one of the strongest themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to turn back there with me real quick. Look at the book of Ecclesiastes. As the wise writer is, is talking, and absolutely, he talks about Things of this world that are vain, that are empty, and that are meaningless, and the pursuit of those things, it simply never works out. But there's another theme in this book. And one of the other themes is you enjoy what God has given you. Even in this world, you enjoy it. Here's some examples of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll we'll work in order, so you can kind of keep track of this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24, nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Look at chapter 3 now, chapter 3 and verse 12 beginning. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. The very end of that chapter, verse 22. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? one other one in chapter 5, one page over. Chapter 5, beginning of verse 18, down to the end of that chapter. He says, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Beautiful passages that make the point that when we, our mindset and our heart is in the pursuit of godliness and spirituality, and and our ego is in check, and we are humble, and we are trusting in God in every way, To enjoy the blessings that God has given you. Because that's exactly what they are. They're gifts from God. Enjoy the abilities that God has given you to create those blessings. You enjoy those things. And finally, not just enjoy the blessings that God has given you. You use what God has given you. You use what God has given you. Verse 18. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Using our wealth and riches for good things, helping others, sharing with others, doing good. That's the picture that God has. And so as we close, it comes down to just that simple question. Our pursuit, our choices, which direction are we going? And it comes down to our heart. And again, now what an incredible opportunity we've had for a few minutes tonight to be able to analyze where we are, to meditate upon that, and to decide if we are pursuing the right path. It's a beautiful passage, a beautiful, beautiful passage. If you've got time this week, I would encourage reading all of 1 Timothy. It's a short book, six chapters, reads very, very quickly. A powerful, powerful book that closes with these powerful truths. Well, Vinnie is going to lead us in a song of invitation, and it gives us an opportunity not just to be thinking about these kinds of things, but in general be thinking about our relationship with God. And we have another good opportunity here to do just that. As we sing this song, be considering where you are with God. There's no promise of another opportunity outside of the one that we have right now. So let's take advantage of this one. Let's spend a few moments as we sing this song together to be meditating and thinking about where we stand with God to make sure our relationship with him is right. If it isn't, let's do something about that. Maybe we can help. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.